All right, so last week we looked at the coming of the Messiah, the return of Jesus. Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers in the midst of a big crowd, and he points them to his return and says they must be ready slaves for his return. Let's look. His, co- his second coming can be broken down into two main sections that he's talking about here. First, there's the exhortation to be a ready slave. And second, the exhortation to be a faithful ready slave, we will see today. You co- we covered last week this final section, or we, we covered the, the first section last week, and now we're going to cover the second section today. It all can be summarized in this little phrase here. You too, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. After Jesus gave this statement summarizing the need for the disciples to be ready for the Son of Man's return, Peter speaks up revealing his confusion over the application of this sermon. In effect, he says, is this for me too, Lord? What you're saying about being ready, is this about me? I want to remind you that all of us need to be very careful in understanding parables and stories when Jesus gives them. Specifically, how we should understand these parables and how we should apply them. Parables are often most mis- or one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted parts of Scripture. The interpreter often reads more into the parable than what the original teller is trying to get across. But most of the time, the parable has one main point. And often, the person telling the parable, in this case, Jesus, tells the main point either before it or after it. And today, in verse 40, he gave the main point of what he told in the story previously. Look at verse 40 again. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. That's the point of last week's message. That's the main point. And he continues on this theme, even though Peter kind of interrupts and and asks a question. So naturally, if you're listening to this sermon last week, and we're talking about being ready for the return of Christ, what are you going to be thinking? What's going to go through your mind? Are you ready for Christ's return? Am I ready? At this point, there's a time of personal reflection. Am I ready? And in effect, Peter says, Lord... Are you saying that we who are the closest disciples here, even us, we should be ready too? Or are you talking about everyone else? Notice that's what Peter says in verse 41. Peter wants to know, who does this call to be ready apply to? You can almost see Peter thinking, wait a second here. Are we ready now? Lord, are you talking to me or the rest of the crowd? I mean, I'm right here with you. You know I'm ready. Why are you talking to me? I don't need to be ready. I'm ready. I'm here. Just a side note for all of us on sermon application also. I think sometimes we have a tendency to go one way or the other. Either there's under application of the sermon or there's over application of the sermon. Let me give you a couple of examples. I'm afraid often as listeners to the Word of God, as a preacher speaking, we think this. We say, oh, I sure wish that neighbor of mine was here to hear this sermon. 
Oh, I wish my husband would stay awake so he'd listen to this sermon. Did you hear that, honey? <laughs> that point was for you. <laughs> oh, I wish my family members were here to hear this message. This is called under-applying the message. That is, under-applying it to yourself. You're focused on everybody else, but not yourself. Or then you can go to the other extreme. When Pastor Mike's preaching, you think in your mind, Oh man, I can't believe Pastor Mike has taken those comments I said to him in private. I made it, I told him in this, and he's figured out that I got this problem. He's judging me. He's judging me. Stop judging me, Pastor Mike. I'm not going to listen to this garbage. I'm out of here. That right there is over-applying. I want to tell you something. I have no agenda. I'm not trying to get my agenda across in your personal life. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to preach the next verse. And if the shoe fits, wear it. The funny thing is, Jesus does not answer Peter's question. Who exactly are you talking to, Jesus? He kind of answers it indirectly because he just keeps going. Instead of Jesus gives us another story illustrating what a ready person looks like and what an unready person looks like. And that applies to the crowd, to the disciples, and to the apostles. Are you a ready person or not? Peter, are you ready? And this is what a ready person looks like. So for the ones who had seen and heard Jesus, this is a strict call. Matter of fact, he says, in effect, at the end, he warns them, to much that has been given, there's even a stricter standard. So in effect, Jesus answered Peter, Peter, be ready. <laughs> and to everybody else, you need to be ready too. Who needs to be ready in this room? All of you. Jesus could return at any minute. Get it. So here we see Jesus gives another story to illustrate the different states of, a re of readiness and the outcome for their readiness. Let's look. Jesus gives four possible scenarios to illustrate the readiness of people. He says first, he gives an example of the faithful slave. Then he gives the unfaithful slave. Then he gives the rebellious slave. And he ends with the ignorant slave. Then Jesus closes the illustration with a statement that is very similar to a proverb. A proverb-like statement that summarizes what Jesus is getting at, or one of his main points. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrust much, of him they will ask all the more. So today... We are going to look at these four possible scenarios so that you too will also take serious Jesus' call to be ready for his return. Let's start with the faithful slave. The faithful slave. That's found in verses 42 to 44. Notice. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants? to give them their ration at the proper time. 
Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. This first scenario is a slave who was given a role of leadership over the slaves of the household. He was the steward of the household. Jesus gives the character of this steward right up front. He says, he calls this slave a faithful and sensible steward. This is definitely, ladies and gentlemen, a ready slave. A faithful and sensible steward. To be faithful is to be reliable to the overall purpose of the household and the master's purposes. To be faithful is to be loyal to the master and his house. That's what a faithful servant looks like. To be sensible is to be wise or prudent. A wise person is a person who applies knowledge correctly to his life. In other words, a wise person is not always a smart person, or well, <laughs> a super high IQ, but he can be a wise person. An intelligent person is not always a wise person. We can be smart, but not wise. We can be intelligent, but not prudent. Book smarts do not always translate into wisdom. Wisdom is this. Applied knowledge of God to our lives. It's applied knowledge. It's knowing God and applying it to our lives and understanding how it fits together. That is wisdom. Jesus explains that this faithful servant is also wise. Then Jesus explains that this faithful and wise slave does Reveal his character in what he does. Notice, he says, whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. In effect, a faithful and wise slave is a slave who is found caring for those whom God places under their charge, his charge. He gives them rations at the proper time. Now again, this is a story, but it has application as we'll go along. This is an illustration. But how can we apply this to ourselves? As a follower of Jesus, how do we apply this concept? Well, if God has placed someone under our care, we are ready for Christ's return if we are caring for those people God has placed under our care or in our realm of influence. By the way, this includes our children, our family, our church family, our friends, our co-workers. All these people are in the realm of our influence as followers of Jesus. And how we treat those people shows whether we are ready for Christ's return. Are we a faithful proclaimer and, and carer for those people that are in our realm of influence? Those that God has sovereignly put in your life. Do we exalt Christ to our children, for example? Do we exalt Christ to our spouses? How about our co-workers? Do they know that you love and value 
and glorify and want to live for Christ, your Lord. Do they know that? How about our church brothers and sisters? Do they know that you are about Jesus Christ? Are you feeding them, in a sense, who Christ is and what he's all about? Do you know that? This is a ready slave. If you were to ask somebody, do this. Go to your spouse after service today. Ask them, who is most important to me? Ask your spouse that. I challenge you. Go up to your wife, say, wifey. Who is most important to me? If she says me or herself, you might be in trouble. If she says Christ and you love me because you love him, you're feeding those in your care. Do it with your children, too, by the way. Your wife has Bible glasses on. Do it with your children. Ask your children, who's most important to me? I risked it last night. Um, only by the grace of God, my son Andrew, Andrew said Jesus. I'm thankful for that testimony. And only by grace. I'm pretty sure, though, if I asked him that question at some other times in my life, he might not say that. We all need to take this seriously. Are we a ready slave? Do we care for those that are in our charge? If we are about loving those whom God has put in our realm of influence, this love, again, exalts who? Jesus Christ, our Master. We can know if we're really concerned for others if we feed them. Feed them the word with our words and our deeds. This is a faithful, ready slave. This is what a ready slave looks like. Jesus continued saying, We are joyfully favored by God, blessed by God, if we are like this when the Lord returns. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he returns. In fact, Jesus says that the slave that is faithful and wise will receive even more authority over the masters when the master returns. So to apply this, if we are faithful and wise to proclaim Christ and live for him with those that are in our realm of influence now, then we will be rewarded in heaven and we will enjoy him. Our reward in heaven is awaiting everyone who is a faithful and wise steward for what God has placed in your realm. Now, I do want to warn you, this is not work salvation. This is not do this in order to get to heaven. But, because we are right with God, we then work out our salvation recognizing that God is our God. And we will be rewarded for our service of Him. And again, that only happens because who's working? God, in my heart. Grace. In effect, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you are ready 
if you fulfill God's role for you until I return. And when I return, if you are ready, then you will be rewarded, Peter. Again, this is a case of eternal prosperity gospel. No, God does not promise you to be rich here if you treat your kids well. And you train your kids about Christ, guess what? It could cost your children their lives. Why? Because your children can see the value of Jesus and they could go and become missionaries in another country and get their heads chopped off for Christ. But those who are under your realm of influence and you exalt Christ, when we get to heaven, we will share in the glory of Christ. We will enjoy Him forever. Notice, Jesus moves to the second scenario. The unfaithful slave. These are some terrifying words, ladies and gentlemen. And again, he doesn't stop and look at Peter and say, Okay, now, Peter, I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm going to talk to these guys over here. There's no address there. It doesn't say he turned his attention to somebody else. He's still talking. And he's warning even Peter and the apostles. He doesn't give them, uh, get out of free, uh, get out of jail free. Don't worry about being terrified. He says, be terrified, in effect. He says this, look. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces. And assign him a place with the unfaithful. I don't know about you, but when when first several times I read that, that's pretty shocking, isn't it? When you get to, we'll cut him in pieces. I mean, he doesn't cut, he doesn't hold back any, does he? I mean, just meditate on that for just a second. I mean, this even seems to go past what a good master would be, right? Master comes home. Unfaithful slave, cut him up. The scenario, in contrast to the previous one, is pretty harsh. As joyful as the promises of the reward in heaven, the contrast is stark, isn't it? The joy of heaven is described as sharing the authority of the master. Sharing in what he gives them and letting them share in that, in heaven, and cutting them to pieces. What a stark contrast. The unfaithful slave is definitely not ready for the master's return. Is that not right? Not ready. Notice the characteristics of the unfaithful slave. First, he ignores the imminent return of the master. He says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming. He ain't coming. He's not coming for a long time. He has no sense of urgency of the Lord's return. He literally buries his head in the sand and ignores the return of the the master. Again, we have a case here of 
A slave that does not take serious the return of the master. Doesn't take it seriously. Even though the master could return at any moment, this slave convinces himself it's not going to happen. It's going to be a long time before he returns. Ladies and gentlemen, I think this applies to us perfectly. Listen. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the world, we convince ourselves that we really don't need to be concerned about the return of the Messiah. We get so wrapped up in this world that we don't even think about the idea that we could die at any moment. We don't value our days. We don't number our days. We get wrapped up in the world and we say, Oh, I'm not going to die for a long time. No big deal. Oh, Jesus isn't going to come back. No big deal. I mean, if we are yelling at our kids because they have inconvenienced us, we surely are not focused on the imminent return of Jesus, are we? If we're losing our temper on the highway when somebody pulls out in front of us, we're surely not thinking Jesus is stepping out on the clouds any moment. If we're getting drunk and lusting in our hearts after other things of the world, we surely aren't thinking, oh, Jesus could come back in any minute. You flip on those computers, men, and you look at that garbage. At that moment, you're not thinking... Jesus is coming back any minute. Are you? This is an unfaithful slave that's not ready. The one who suppresses the truth of Jesus and that he could return at any minute. Notice the next characteristic of the unfaithful slave. He hurts those in his realm. Even the vulnerable ones. The unfaithful slave begins to beat the slaves, both men and women. Whereas before the faithful slave cared for those in his realm, the unfaithful slave is all about what? Himself. Hurting others. I want you to make sure you note this. One of the main evidences of our readiness for God is how we treat those who are in our realm. How you treat your spouse determines whether or not you're ready for the Messiah to come back. How you treat your children determines, shows, reveals whether your hearts are ready for Christ to return. How you talk to your bosses how you talk to your co-workers, what you think about your bosses, what you think about your employees and employers, determines whether your heart is ready for the return of the Messiah. Before it was feed them, now it's beat them. Again, both of these are illustrations, but the application is obvious, isn't it? Are you ready? A ready servant who cares for and exalts Jesus to his friends and family and church family. That's a ready servant. An unready servant 
is a servant who destroys his friends, his family, and his church family. I just recently heard a report that one of the main counseling issues of a pastor in a biblically strong church was his main counseling issue was spouse abuse. What? I confess, this is disturbing. In a church that preaches the Bible verse by verse too, the main counseling issue is men beating their wives? What? That's not a ready church. That aren't ready people. Anyone who beats their spouse, physically or verbally, is not ready. Repent now. Turn to Jesus now. And I say that with as strong of words as I possibly can say. Because Jesus will take care of the vulnerable. This is the same for your children. If you are beating your children or verbally assaulting your children, you're not a ready slave. If you are verbally yelling at your spouse or your children, you're an unfaithful servant. You better repent. Jesus could come at any minute. Now where it might apply a little even more specifically to all of us, is the, that is the reality that caring for those in our realm includes avoiding hypocrisy and valuing God over things, everything. Listen, folks. This includes our jobs, our houses, our hobbies, and even our families if we're not careful. If our world around us revolves about only about our family, then we too can neglect the ones that we're actually saying we're serving. See, if we're all about family, it's this, then we're not all about Jesus. And our kids think that the world revolves around them. And that is killing them. It's beating them. There's balance. There's a recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and exalting Christ in our family that they will see that Jesus is good and is worthy of service. Do our roommates, college students, know that about you? Do they see in your life that Jesus is first and your primary concern? Your classmates, your co-workers, those in your realm of influence, are you beating them or are you feeding them? These are great questions. We must teach our family that the loving God is a gracious and kind God and wants us to serve Him and find our joy in serving Him. I, I confess that Sunday afternoons can be pretty tough at our house, can't they, friends? Lots of people coming over. 
But I will tell you, I will tell you, it has been one of the most wonderful lessons for our children to learn. Serving people is more important than serving myself. Our kids, they have to, Andrew had to vacuum the whole house yesterday. Did you get all that done yesterday? In, in, in preparation for you that come over to our house today. We are saying to our children, Christ is more important than you. Now, again, I want you to know I am not saying that I'm anything special, only by the grace of God that we accomplish these things. And I blow it many, many times, okay? I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But this is what Jesus is talking about a ready slave somebody that puts others above themselves. And he doesn't beat those who are vulnerable and in your realm. He feeds them. Notice the next characteristic. He is obsessed with fulfilling his fleshly desires. This is the unfaithful one. He's obsessed with his fleshly desires. And to eat and drink and get drunk. Now, those first two statements, everybody in here says, Oh, no, I'm in trouble. Eating and drinking? Come on, can't we eat? God gave us food, it's good. Drinking, what's wrong with that? I think the drinking here is probably talking about getting drunk. Notice the context. I mean, what's wrong with eating and drinking? Nothing. But the last statement reveals the motives and the amount of the eating and drinking. Listen, and get drunk. What does this say? This is an obsession... With fulfilling our fleshly lust, this is not a ready slave. This is a desire to fulfill my fleshly desires to excess. This is a slave obsessed with the world, not their master. That's what he is. This is obsessed with selfish desires, even to the detriment of those who are around us. I confess, there is one thing that really makes me mad. I mean, I get really angry at this one. This, I Hopefully, it's a righteous anger. Parents who are so obsessed with their own personal fleshly desires that they will hurt, hurt their own children to get their fleshly desires. Case in point, abortion. That's what that is. I don't have, often, not always, but often, most of the time. I don't have time. It will cost me too much to have this baby. That is fleshly desires. And what do they do? They beat their children. They kill them. This is how wicked our hearts are, ladies and gentlemen. All of us, apart from the grace of God. This is you apart from God's grace. All of us are there apart from God's grace. And I'm not saying this so that you walk out of here going, Oh, woe is me. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm saying this to get you to evaluate just like Jesus got you to evaluate. That's what he was doing. He was calling them to evaluate. Even the apostles. He was calling them to what? Value him more than this world. 
find your joy in Him, not this world. Or the case of the mom that gets wasted, even though she knows she's pregnant and knows that it's probably hurting her baby. This is an abomination. This is going after fleshly desires in order to fulfill our fleshly desires at the expense of anybody. Who cares? That's not a ready slave. That's an unfaithful, deserving judgment slave. We too can fall into some similar abominations. If we know the gospel and teach it to our children and our family, but then live a way that says Jesus is not our top priority, aren't we falling into a very similar pattern? If we say Jesus is number one to me, he's my all in all, and then we yell at our children, beat our wife, or just speak mad bad to her. Or when the boss says something, we talk back and disrespect them. But we love Jesus. He's number one. That, ladies and gentlemen, is hypocrisy. And God hates it. Some of y'all that have been coming the last couple of weeks and it's been very encouraging. and <laughs> like, Whoa, it's deep today. <laughs> Jesus turned it on him, man. He turned the pressure up. He did. And he didn't let the Apostle Peter off at all, did he? So you say, I'm not talking to you, Apostle Peter. <laughs> Evaluate. An unready, unfaithful slave. We need to repent. Turn and commit our lives to the saving Messiah. Jesus came to die for sin like that. Notice, the unfaithful slave will face a horrific fate. Look at verse 12, or 46 rather. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Notice, the judgment will come at an unexpected time. Once heard of a pastor of a not-to-be-named denomination <laughs> that had a secretary that was young. He'd been a pastor of real, real large churches. Matter of fact, at one time, the largest church in America it was a Baptist church, too. I won't give you which denomination. He hired an unbelieving secretary. It would flirt with her. Flirt with her openly in front of everybody. Even though he was married and his wife was the organ player. He died one night after a Wednesday night service. I'll tell you what. He wasn't ready. 
He had been given much, but he was defaming the name of Jesus Christ. God doesn't ignore sin, ladies and gentlemen. Your hour could come at any moment. Jesus could return at any moment. Are you ready? The judgment will be very brutal. And the judgment will be appropriate for the slave's character. (laughs) These are terrifying words from our Lord, aren't they? They are terrifying. Are you shook yet? If not, you might not be applying the sermon correctly. Boy, I wish my cousin was here. They could hear this. They need to hear God's a terrifying judge. (laughs) Who's he talking to? Ladies and gentlemen, the unfaithful slave will get a full dose, dose of God's wrath. Our world lives as if there is no eternity. The world lives to ignore the end. The scary thing is, is that much of the professing church in America and in Europe live like the, like the ones Jesus is talking about here, the unfaithful servants. This is a very foolish way to live. Look at this passage in 2 Peter. I thought of this while we were going through it. 2 Peter 3, 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, markers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I think Peter got the message. What do you think? Peter's talking here. And saying, where is the promise of the coming? Of its coming. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of the creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction and ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. Who? Beloved. Loved by God. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards, who's this? You. Who's He talking to? The believers. You. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Well, that's what he talked about before he was asleep, right? In which the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. I think Peter got the message. What do you think? Look. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? 
in holy conduct and godliness. Who's he talking to? The believers. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. Whoo! You think he lays it out there? Who's he talking to? Believers. Do you understand? The world ignores it. Don't ignore it. Any moment, the Lord could return. Folks, Jesus calls all whom he was talking to there, whether they were apostles back in Luke 12, or the other disciples that were following him, or the large crowd, evaluate, are you ready for his return? And then he boldly proclaims, if they are like this unfaithful slave, they will be like that unfaithful slave in the end, and be cut into pieces. The master will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. Cut him into pieces? Oh my! Think about it. Boy, I bet you this sermon doesn't get preached a lot in those, sermon, in those churches that don't want to talk about wrath, huh? I don't want to talk about God cutting people into pieces. Slaves being cut into pieces by their master. The shock factor is almost amazing, isn't it? He's implying the slaves deserve to be cut into pieces. He's implying that God will judge. Again, folks, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, as Hebrews 10.31 states. Ladies and gentlemen, if we are all about this world to the detriment of others and the realm of our influence, if we are all about our own fleshly desires, we are headed straight towards a wrathful, all-consuming God. And as Jonathan Edwards said, in sinners in the hands of an angry God, we are like spiders hanging over hell with it about to break. Nobody preaches that anymore, do they? That's why there is no fear of God in our eyes. We need to wake up. Don't we? I know it starts with me. My fear of God is not big enough. Shake me, God. Show me your holiness. Why does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Grace on Campus students, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. This is with a right understanding of who God is, correct? Knowing that it is God 
who is working in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work it out because he's working in you. Comes right on the heels of Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11 that talks about doing what? Laying down your life for other people like Christ did, have the same attitude that he had, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself. This is who we are supposed to be. This is what working out your salvation looks like. Putting others above yourself. That's a faithful slave. And Jesus will zip through these last two, the rebellious slave. He says, verse 47, And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many severe beatings, many lashes. The emphasis on this scenario is having knowledge but rebelling against it. This is the slave that was fully aware of what the master's will was, but did not get ready and act according to the master's will. Folks, this is a case of having the truth, but willfully rejecting the truth. The scariest thing that I'm afraid of in our country is this. Almost every person, almost, has a Bible somewhere in their house. It's not that they don't have Bibles. There's lots of Bibles. Many people have lots of them. Two or three Bibles in their house. It's not that they don't have truth. They Most in our country know how to read. Most can read their Bibles too. It's not ignorance. They got it. And most have heard the gospel. They've heard it at least once. How many times have you been out witnessing, talking to somebody and said, Jesus died to pay for your sins, repent and trust in him? And they say, yeah, I've heard that. Numerous times. Now, not always. It's getting worse. But a lot of times on campus we do those surveys. The surveys almost always come back. Who? Who saved you? Jesus Christ. Why? He died. Probably 85, 90%. On the USF campus, secular campus, they know the, they've heard the truth. Folks, this is the rebellious slave who has the information but just ignores it and rejects it. Very few are faithfully serving Jesus and not obsessed with fleshly lusts. Folks, look what the slave that was characterized by this rebellious rebelliousness gets. Look, many lashes. This is a case, if you have the knowledge, if you have the knowledge, you better respond appropriately or you will get exactly what you deserve. Did you hear me? If you have the knowledge, you have the understanding, you've heard the truth, you better respond appropriately. Now at this point, I know some of you are probably thinking, this guy has gone totally over the top with his hellfire brimstone sermon. <laughs> but folks, Jesus is giving the sermon here 
I'm just telling you what he's saying. If you don't like it, take it up with King Jesus. He told his disciples that. Notice he didn't say, well, Peter, just come over here. I'm not really talking to you, Peter. You're my disciple. I love you. Put your head here on my shoulder. I'm talking to those wicked, rebellious ones over there. Take it up with King Jesus. He's telling his followers to evaluate their hearts. Evaluate whether they're ready. Are you convicted now? Hopefully. Good. Turn to Christ. He's better. He's worthy. Delight in our Savior. He's taking, he's talking to his followers and telling them, stay faithful, follow me. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. Notice, he continues, the ignorant slave. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive few. This is a case where Jesus compares judgment at a second coming to a just master. The slave who is ignorant of the master's will and yet does horrific things will not receive as much judgment as the one that the master had given a lot of knowledge to and and shared it in the servant that has a lot of understanding. The ignorant slave will receive judgment. Notice, will receive but few. But it will be handed out justly. This is how our God is. He is always just. Somebody once asked me, are there levels of hell? Well, it seems like right there. Some get more. Some get less. Who gets more? The ones that had more. It's hotter for those that have more. But everybody will get what is just. Just want to warn you again, all of us here. None of us in here are ignorant slaves. Did you hear me? There is nobody in this room. Nobody. Listen, nobody in this room who fits in the last scenario. Nobody. You have it. Folks, heed these words of warning from our Lord. Notice, and for us who are over people and know the truth, the level of responsibility is even higher. Elders, teachers, deacons, may our God bring all of us today to our knees. May we who are the leaders and have been given much understanding of God be the first on our knees. Because we've been given lots and lots and lots. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrust much of him, they will ask all the more. So once again, today, I think it's appropriate to clearly spell out 
the gospel for you. I want to call level all of us now to turn to Jesus Christ for our right standing with God. Do not go out of this room and say, I'm going to do it by myself. I can handle it. I'll make up for all that unfaithfulness. Don't do that, please. No! Don't go out of here saying, oh yeah, I can do it. From now on, I'm a faithful servant. And all that in the past, well, I'll outweigh it. My faithfulness in the coming weeks are going to just, woo, woo, it's going to be nothing to God. He's going to look at that. Woo, no problem. Don't do that. Your hope is found on your knees. Your hope is found in a humble heart that says, I believe, help my unbelief. I need you, God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's why God sent his son, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you recognize your sin all the more today? How many of you need a savior? God loves you. He is a just God. And in order for you to avoid the just wrath of God, he sent his son. And his son came to earth. And he lived a perfect life. He never sinned, not once. He never had an evil thought. He was always perfect. He always obeyed the Father perfectly all the way to the cross. And at the cross, he took the wrath of God For sinners like me and you. He took on himself. Our sin. And we were provided. His righteousness. Through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We must respond with. Repentance. And faith. Turning from our sin. And trusting in the living holy, all-loving God. If you will turn today and call upon Him, cry out to Him to save you, unbeliever, you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be declared right. And He will begin to make you look like His Son as you humbly serve Him. Turn from your sins and trust in Him. Believer, work out your sanctification in fear and trembling. Recognizing your right standing with God is only found in the cross of Christ. And your hope is only found in Jesus Christ alone, not in your good deeds. Trust in Him and lay your life down for Him. For it is God who is at work both to will and to do for his good pleasure in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.
extremely convicting words in dire need of your grace. Help us, God, to recognize your holiness. Help us, God, to stand in awe of you. Help us, God, to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing you're working in us. Help us, Lord, to reflect Jesus all the time, not just on Sunday. To feed the sheep, not beat the sheep. Help us, God. Start with us that are the leaders of this church. Please, God. We need you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.